Thank you for joining us today. I am Lila Glasso-Francis, president of the Carolyn Glasso-Bailey Foundation in Ojai, California. And today I'm going to bring you a live podcast conversation with an artist in residence here at the foundation, Yasi Manzandi, and our executive director, Frederick Janka. Yasi Manzandi was born in Iran, raised in Great Britain, and lives and works currently in Los Angeles. She describes nature and her reaction to it both conscious and subconscious as the driving forces behind her art. She sculpts in porcelain, clay, and bronze, and also creates works on paper and canvas. She enjoys expanding her creative frontiers with constant experimentation, including the combination of traditional hand-intensive skills with the most relevant technological innovations. Her work has been the subject of several solo exhibitions, numerous group exhibitions, as well as a video interview with the BBC in 2013. In 2012, she was in the first group of artists selected by the Robert Rauschenberg Foundation for its Artist-in-Residence program in Captiva Island, Florida. Her work is in the collection of the Cleveland Museum of Art, Los Angeles County Museum of Art, and in other public and major private collections, both in the United States and internationally. Please sit back and enjoy this conversation. Welcome, Yasi. <laughs> thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to have you here in Ojai. Um, thank you to everyone for, for, for being here tonight, opening, inaugurating um, our exhibition project with Yasi. Yasi will be in residence in Ojai um, through uh, February 3rd, and I use that, that, that term residence loosely um, because we will s sort of find different moments, different weekends, different dates for her to come up and engage with some of our local school children, as well as working with our, um, our partner, um, the Turtle Conservancy, which has been really um, very, they've been very generous in, in allowing um, uh, Yasi to uh, get into um, sort of an all-access pass <laughs> to their fantastic 10 acres and over 800 um, living turtles and tortoises, as well as what Yasi is especially excited about, the um, the archive of turtle shells, tortoise shells, and um, prints right. that they also have in their library. So that's been really an exciting, um, an exciting partnership. So Yasi, I want to start with really how you use material and your approach to material. So I think we have we have two um, sort of uh, bodies of bodies of the ceramic work here on view and. Um, I think that might be an interesting place to start. So um, would you like to start there? <laughs> uh, well, it is my main love. Um, okay, so the materials. The main one is porcelain. and But my favorite is HPCA, which is half Arkansas and half California clay, which is a brown one. It's delicious. That's about it. The porcelain... It's because it's rather behaves like a dowager dust just it doesn't want to do this, it doesn't want to do that. Okay, it'll do that with a sort of little bit of persuasion. I do find this that they've got their own characters. And the pods are paper porcelain. Um, but you were talking about process. And I think the learning curve on all the pieces that are here and my main way of working um, is literally because of mistakes. 
or because I didn't like something. Um, but then I realized the pods, because they're completely uneven, they're falling this way and that way, and they look as if they're... They, well, what am I trying to say here? Um, <coughs> I love wasps' nests. Okay. And the turn, the swallows' nests that were up at Be Be Beatrice Wood Centre. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember seeing them for the first time about five years ago. And then when I went back about two years ago, seeing them again, and it reminded me how much I love the texture of them and how they were built and how they face different directions and their flippity-floppity and they've got their own sense of being. So that's where the pods came from. It was actually to do with Mother Nature and not being perfect and not being calculated or anything else like that. The other pieces are completely geometric, engineered, based on something that's supposedly not meant to be possible on a wheel, but it's it's the, the wheel isn't there just to make a pot. You can do completely different things on it. I mean, these are sculptural, they're double-sided, and they're made on a wheel by hand. They're very architectural in an odd way. And so, Woody, I remember there are some things that you told me, though, about some things that you shouldn't be doing with the wheel or, or the way things, the way the material should or shouldn't be sort of used with the wheel. Okay, well, the flanges coming off the vessels or the flowers are pulled horizontally to the wheel. So supposedly you're not able, you're not meant to be able to pull flanges horizontally to a wheelhead, two or three of them at the same time. So the flanges go inwards as well as outwards, and they're usually two or three of them in either direction, so they create lateral fans. Lateral or anyway, yeah. but there is a supposedly you're not meant to be able to see them, but there they are. <laughs> and um, the reason why the other pods are thrown on the wheel in paper clay is because you're not meant to be able to pay paper, throw paper clay on a wheel, but they're thrown off center because I start touching the clay once I've centered it and I've put the initial hole in, I stop the wheel and I start touching the piece before the wheel starts. So you're not meant to be, you're never meant to touch the mound of clay if the wheel has stopped. You're always meant to start the wheel and then touch the clay. So this is touching the clay while the wheel is still standing here still and then starting the wheel, which gives them that sense of, well, it's been pushed to one side too much. And then you're, you're sort of pulling it up from the inside, is that correct? Yeah, and I'm not touching the outside on the last two pulls, I don't touch the outside at all, um, which is what allows the paper clay to crack open and create that surface mm. where it looks like elephant skin almost or um, some sort of like swallow's nest texture or wasp nest texture. And what, what initially attracted you to, to the material? Oh, the paper clay was because somebody hadn't marked the bag as paper clay. <laughs> I think this is also this is also a hallmark. We'll get, we might get into it a little bit. <laughs> and I couldn't understand why I couldn't get my head around the fact that this piece of clay didn't want to get scented and didn't want to have a flange. I was like, seriously? And um, I remember literally talking to it and I was getting really grumpy with it. And 
I decided to let it do whatever it wanted to do, and it came up with this kind of like, I'm not getting thrown, I'm not having this sort of really pushing me about attitude towards me. God, well, I sound like a lunatic <laughs> having a conversation with me. Well, yeah, no, but I, but I think that that's something in our conversations too that has <laughs> has also been inspiring is, for me personally, is how you can um, be inspired or easily work within uh, pre-existing constraints. So, you know, this is the paper you have, these are the materials you have, and that it's almost, you know, or at least what I've seen is that it's almost through being sort of limited with resource, like a scarcity of material. That's true. And um, a limited amount of knowledge, which is the other problem. <laughs> scarcity of knowledge and scarcity <laughs> of material come together, but I think in a really, um, you know, innovative way, or, or they come together to make something um, innovative. And I think that's that's something that I'm, I, you know, I'm really interested in, in because um, I think it's, with, I, I want, I don't want to, this is not pejorative, but that just the, everything's very intuitive in some sense. So um, I think it becomes intuitive after making the first mistake. Mm. Where um, I realize the other thing is, is to do with the fact that I feel as though everybody else has the information already, and I actually don't have the information I need to either catch up or figure out what I'm doing. And because I'm not some teenager asking questions and waiting for some answers. The other problem is that I am slightly older and I'm not going to listen to somebody else or wait for them. <laughs> I do come up with my own solutions by mistake. Uh, it's, it is. That it is. It's some total experimentation. Um, but it's due mainly to lack of knowledge. It's um, not understanding the material or not having an experience of going through the education system to have been taught this is how you use this. The acetone and the ink and the watercolor came about because I spilt the acetone on something and then I watched it behave the way it did and thought, oh, I like that. And I noticed it didn't move the watercolor, but it moved the ink, mm. which meant that I could do a la um, layering process using two different types of materials because of a mistake. Mm -hmm. Well, and with those, I, and for those of you who haven't maybe had a second to look closer at them, it's both an additive and a subtractive process yeah. because of the material, because of, because really of this acetone, correct? Exactly. You're able to lay down the pigment, but then pull it back up. Exactly. And uh, the other thing is there is the sense that Someone told me, oh, when you start painting, people like to see the brush stroke. <laughs> and I was like, I'm, why? <laughs> why do you need to see the brush stroke? Uh, so that, I think I went completely against the grain. I'm like, I went, well, I'm not going to have any brush strokes. <laughs> so it was like the watercolors and the ink. But on the painting, what the acetone also does is that it moves the brush stroke. But it also allows it to spread at the same time. So the paintings which are here have that bizarre quality of looking like a little bit fuzzy. Even. Yeah. yeah. No, almost uh, like one part of it's melted, but the other part is in focus. Mm. So I'm not quite sure whether I've got my head around that or whether I'm that happy about it yet. Mm -hmm. 
but I'm working with the fact that it has that effect. So that one I'm still experimenting with. So that one I won't show anyone until I know that I'm okay with how it works. But I can also repeat it. That's the other thing. I need to know that I can repeat it, which is then I will do it as a series. If I can't repeat it, then I won't do it. <laughs> well, so I think we've touched on material now, but is I, I think specifically in the um, the flower pieces, which are the the ceramic pieces on the on the on these uh, pedestals. Um, but is there is there a location of where the 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 actual shape and form come from? I mean, for me, I feel like I see you know in some way I know that there's you know it it, it evolves as you're working on it. But also, I mean, I see sort of Mesoamerica, like other sort of you know. Um, pre-conquest, uh, you know, art, art, artifact, and um, there's something sort of ancient feeling about them. Uh, there is, I can't put my finger on, but there's something very familiar about them, but there's also something very futuristic about them. Yeah. The flowers are really to do with vertebra. They're to do with flowers not having a skeleton. Okay. And... In a bizarre sense, I gave them a skeleton because of... All right, so the whole weird thing behind it is to do with the fact that whatever we're doing to the planet, the things that are the most fragile are disappearing faster. But flowers are some of the most fragile things, and just giving them a backbone in a bizarre sense seemed to have been something in my head for some reason. Mm. Uh, because... There's, leaves have a skeleton, trees have a skeleton, cacti has a skeleton. And I didn't understand why flowers wouldn't. That was it. <laughs> I call them flowers, but they're the vertebras for flowers. If that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So it's more about sort of a, a, a bone structure than necessarily sort of a, a, a formal pattern or something that. Yeah. That and, but the front is, the, if you look at a flower, the flower is different on the front than it is on the back, which is why they are double-sided, which is why the front and the back aren't the same. Mm. Um, the vessels, there is something Mesoamerican about them. There is something pre-Columbian, ancient Chinese. I don't know where that comes from. I've been carrying those shapes around in my head for years. Um, and I find it incredibly familiar and comforting. When I see some of these shapes, walking through a museum and I'm doing sketching or anything like that, um, I find it comforting a bit more. Mm. Yeah, like an early, um, an early aura or like an early. Um, it's no, but it's also if you look at or timeless even. Yeah, but it's if you look at some of the oldest. Uh, clay forms or architectonic forms, um, they're incredibly futuristic. They're very simple, they're geometric, they're beautifully engineered, and they've lasted millennia. Yeah, we were just in, in Bogota at the, um, the Museum of Gold, and yeah. that was incredible. I feel like there was a whole section of, um, of gold um, pieces that looked like Keith Haring's. <laughs> too, right? Like, yes, yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the engineering and and I think I think what was what was most striking about that experience to think of everything that's been lost through you know the conquest and genocide and and um, 
you know, that there are just these sort of bits that still remain that, that speak to something incredibly advanced in that even even the people even the people descended from those um, those pe- those people don't know their own history that that's even been lost. Well, it's also the technology that ex- existed or pre-existed technology that allowed them to actually create those things. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they are made by hand and there was somebody sitting there slaving away with a chisel saying, I have a vision and this is what I'm going to do. <laughs> <laughs> that's you in your like, studio, right? That's the, that's <laughs> the chisel. <laughs> <laughs> um, so so I want, I'd like to go back a little bit more and just um, <laughs> learn more about how, how you got started on this path. We go back as, as much as you want to or not. Um, but I do remember, like, there was, you were one of the first um, artists to be invited to be a part of the Rauschenberg um, residency at Captiva Island when that started, yeah. which that was a number of years ago. 2012. 2012. Uh, so the half started because I wanted to be an artist as a child, and I was told, no, I'm not going to be an artist. And then I think around the age of 35, I suddenly realized there wasn't anyone to say no to me. And I was like, oh, I can go and be an artist. <laughs> so it wasn't that. I didn't actually think I'm going to go and be an artist. I actually just thought I want to do art. I want to do any art I can get my hands on. So I signed up for a whole lot of different types of continuing education courses. <laughs> and the pottery at Greenwich House in New York, I'd get there an hour and a half late for the lesson because I'd be taking the bus down. And the teacher wouldn't speak to me. Uh, but it stuck. I felt like I was a kid in a kindergarten, and I'd get home, and my lovely husband sitting over there had white carpets, and I'd get home covered in clay, and the footprints going <laughs> And he'd stand at the front door and go, were you using some red clay today? And I'd be like, wow, I didn't know that. <laughs> like little footprints of red clay coming across the carpet. So it was something that just stuck. And even if it took me an hour to get down there, I was still getting down there and doing it. I mean, seriously, and, and getting me out of bed without coffee and then getting me onto a bus is like, no, this is not me. I don't know why I'm even doing this, but it really stuck. And if I didn't do it, I would be dreaming about it. So, and there was a very grumpy Japanese lady who would sit next to me. <laughs> Part of the inspiration. Actually, no, she was extre- She was very important, it turned out, because um, I was actually talking about it earlier. Oh, okay. She um, taught me how to center with my eyes closed, because I'd get there, get on the worst wheel, which was next to her, it was the only empty one. Teacher wouldn't speak to me, and then I'd make this massive mess and splash her. So I think out of complete frustration and annoyance of splashing her, she taught me how to center with my eyes closed. And she said, feel the clay, don't look, feel. So, and when she left, um, actually, I'm having kind of like, I wish I could get hold of her. Um, she turned around to me and said, you must remember, you don't do, you don't do wrong, you do different. Because the teacher kept saying, you're doing it wrong. And I was like, no, okay, whatever. So. Well, and that's, I think, obviously something you've kept. Yeah, I'm too old to be told. <laughs> <laughs> old dog, new tricks, not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> it's like one of those things. Well, and um, so I mentioned the, the residency, and what was, I know there are some things that 
you were excited to work on during that time too. Do you want to talk about that experience? Um, actually, I'm incredibly grateful for the Rauschenberg residency. Um, they did something extraordinary for me, and they did it by mistake. So let's embrace <laughs> Every, all everyone's those everyone's and learning. Uh, by when I got there, the wheel and my equipment hadn't arrived yet. But what they did was they opened up Rauschenberg's studio to me. And they said, you That can was a bad idea, first of all. I know. Like, <laughs> Don't yeah, let her in. Yeah. And they said, You can use anything you want in here. Wow. I know. Wow. So they let me loose. And I ended up learning how to use uh, the printer. I used his paints. I used his, all the stuff he had downstairs in the garage. I made paintings. I'd never made paintings. I made prints of. Um, I collapsed. One of the flowers had been scanned, and the guy emailed me the scan of it because I kept thinking about how to make them larger and what I needed to create a map. And he emailed me the scan, and I started playing on my telephone um, with Adobe Photoshop Express, <laughs> very important app. <laughs> and I figured out how to collapse the image into a 2D image from a 3D file and then to change its colors. So I created something called Sculptographs. They got named at the end of it. And it was at Rauschenberg that they allowed me to see them up on the computer and then to print them large. Oh, wow. And then to be able to change all the colors and do sort of the basic work of understanding how to play with printing. And then the painting came about because, um, I don't know, I just... It literally opened up a doorway of all these different materials that I'd never played with, didn't have the opportunity to play with, and understanding the importance of having a very big, expensive printer available to you. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> I think everyone should get one of this. I know we should get one here too, right? Yeah, huge one. <laughs> no, it prints up to 10 feet by 10 feet. I'm like, I love you. <laughs> And so what came out of that experience or what were, what are things that maybe you still hold on to today or that are still lingering? Well, the sculptographs, I still do the sculptographs. I've never shown them. Um, I, the painting started the whole 2D thing of my life and playing around on paper and not being scared of the results and just going, going for it. Uh, but it also showed me that there's no, there isn't a boundary in materials. There isn't, if you think you can't do it, it's just because you haven't tried it. And then trying it and realizing, okay, you can't do it, but then you're going <laughs> to figure it out and then you will do it. So that's about it. <laughs> no, it's, um, it was, it was an extraordinary, it's an extraordinary thing for someone to open their doors and say go there's nothing you can do here that will be wrong it's your choice where any you can do anything you want for the next five weeks and it's all yours you don't have to spend a penny on materials go and do whatever you need to do i that that opportunity for me was insane that this existed and so forever grateful to Rauschenberg for showing me here's a fully equipped studio that 
after I It's know. insane how much equipment we have and go for it. And I love the guys who are running it, that one of them, um, and Marielena Gonzalez, she, every single time she walked by, because I didn't understand about materials and how dangerous some materials are, as she walked by and she'd slap down like a mask and then she'd walk by, she'd put a ventilator and they should like, the sanding machine, she'd turn the fan on. <laughs> I'd be like, eh. <laughs> slightly scared of her at the beginning, but it would turn out to be okay in the end. <laughs> but, uh, so... It's, it's that lack of knowledge again that was sort of... And if you walked into the garage, because all they were all upstairs because they realized I shouldn't be with a serious sort of like Jack Pearson and Maria Elena Gonzalez and those guys, but they were all kind of like, they knew what they were doing. So uh, they let me loose downstairs in the garage. And I had all my paintings lined up on the ground and I had a sanding machine on one and God knows what on another one. And the third one, I was like figuring out what I wanted to do to it. And I'd be dragging them around the place and they'd be like, oh my god, it's so, what's she doing now? <laughs> but it running was extraordinary. Up, yeah. Well, yeah. I was I sanding canvases that had been printed upstairs. Mm. I'll show you when you come to the studio. Uh, we'll have to check them out. Okay. Um, so, something that I've been really interested in here at the Foundation is to um, really make a commitment to artists from our region, from California, from Southern California, from Ojai. And I'm curious to know, you know, how you, if you do sort of identify as an artist from Los Angeles or a, or a California, even though you obviously have a very international um, experience, <laughs> flair, <laughs> um, uh, but you're here and you're working here and your studio is very, uh, a very LA experience for me, <laughs> um, but how, I'm just curious. Like, how how do you or don't or what do you think about where you where you live and work right now as an artist? Actually, I love California. I've always loved California. Um, when I was given sort of like when my father moved to LA, and every once in a while my mother would suggest going on holiday to sort of like here or there or something like this, and she'd go, "You can see your father in Los Angeles," and I'd go, "I'm going to Los Angeles," so it's kind of like just get away. Like, and when Craig sort of, he doesn't really remember it, but I remember it as a choice, but I don't call it a choice. And it was something like Frankfurt, Lausanne, or Los Angeles. I thought that was not a choice, even just Los Angeles. <laughs> so it was, where do you want to move to? Would you consider living in LA? But I do remember him opening up the window because our flight had been canceled to New York in February. I don't know when it was, in, sometime in the 90s. And there was a palm tree outside with a bird tweeting outside on the palm tree and he opened the windows and goes this is where everyone should live we're going to move here and I thought okay you're on that was kind of it because in my head after being born in Iran and then living in Europe for most of my life California was kind of it's I mean seriously it's kind of amazing <laughs> it is and so but as an artist like does this does it like or I mean I guess one must assume it must have some sort of impact, but I don't know. Is there anything like that you can put your finger on that really is sort of California? I think by acceptance. Yeah. I think California for me is really about acceptance. Mm -hmm. It's um, it it's a I don't know how to explain it. I think it allows you to be whatever you want to be or whoever you want to be. 
it's not you're not conforming to some standard by somebody else. You are creating your own situation, whether it's educational art or whatever it is. That is for me California. It might have something to do with the fact there is so much diversity here. Whether it's cultural or California isn't about palm trees and movie business and stuff like that then. It's about the fact that you literally can be anything you want to be here. I love it and I think that's a really great place to to wrap up our conversation. Um, <laughs> uh, I just a uh, question or two if anyone would like to join the conversation before we call it a night. Oh yes, go ahead. I love your mandalas. Oh no, I'm obsessed with mandalas. And centrifugal force. Yeah, and mandalas and um, no, seriously, all that is completely up my street. I'm absolutely. I would. I was obsessed by a mandala as a child. Yeah. And yes, so and snowflakes. Yes. Oh, I have no idea where that comes from. I'm sure somebody else is guiding you because I'm really not that old. I think we're wrong. Oh. And these are all different movements, right? Uh, well, there are three different types of clay. The, the pots of paper porcelain, Nara. The flowers are English porcelain. And HBCA, the brown. So the HBCA is the old brown vessels and flowers of all HBCA. That one's just observation, the other, the brown ones are reduction. Yes. And they're all handmade. <laughs> She's still in awe. Yeah. I'm sorry, who's that? Actually, people think it's uh, um, people don't understand and they, they keep turning them around and going, eh? No. So it has to be made of something, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know what it is? The, a few of them don't survive the kiln. Because then you're asking the clay to survive the process slightly first, and then to dry, and then to survive two firings. And occasionally, they're just like, I'm not going any further. That's right. Well, that's actually interesting that we didn't get to, was what happens when they fail? Oh. Because um, it also gives birth to a lot of other things. Yeah. So the ones that fail, usually they flop around one side that flops off and cracks or whatever. Um, I break those ones up and I turn them either into birds, my birds, <laughs> some people say they don't have birds, uh, <laughs> or odd little objects. <laughs> I think majority they all look like odd little objects, but some of them look like birds to me. <laughs> and uh, so I try to save as much of it as possible, and then there are some pieces called the in-betweens, 
the in-betweens are when I'm carving and I end up with a ball of clay in my hand. I don't want to throw the clay away, so they become chuck glasses, pipes, <laughs> <laughs> and um, odd sea creatures, things, things, things. <laughs> so I call those the in-betweens, because they came from in-between the plants. I should come up with a better name for <laughs> I think we have another question. Yeah, Lisa. So, a lot of mistakes, and um, I really appreciate that. Are you most of the time meditative around this or angry? Because. <laughs> 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 no, no, it's a legit question. Because I know many artists in Cisco, they're, they're just into their process, and I've had a lot of um, the inner self. <laughs> Actually, um, the pipes can be worn as pendants. So there, there's that. And uh, there's jewelry. Well, they're like one or, or two jewelry, like ornaments or, you know, you but, wear it and you can hang it. I know, there's a, there's a very silly box in the studio full of bits which are to do with tiny pieces of clay which I don't know what to do with so I have to turn them into something or other and that box of bits is just, just that but you also have sort of a jewelry practice kind of on the side as well right? I do yes <laughs> I actually do have a jewelry practice on the side I'm wearing 
no, the jewelry practice is I like jewelry. So then my godmother started something off and then I couldn't stop it so I had to continue doing that. So there's a material is I, I like jewelry. Well you talked about Oh no, it's um well my mistake it might be a little bit too big to wear. So no, I agree with you there, but I, mean, I think maybe that would be kind of you know. Um and on the jewelry side uh the the pendants which are in the studio are just things that I just played with. It's not a concept I've actually decided yeah. to do anything about. Um, but we'll see. It's just a box full of bits that I'm trying to figure out. Um, and I haven't thrown them out, so obviously it means something to me. It's like... just yeah. hasn't happened yet. Yeah. Well, awesome. Well, thank you all for coming and being a part of this. Please stay and have a glass of wine. And thank you, Yasi, for your time. Thank you. And thank you.